0: Well, welcome, Northside family. So glad that you are with us today. And uh, I love that our staff is in the room right now together where I don't feel so alone. Yeah, there's one whistle. And, uh, and this is just a good time for us to come together to open God's word and allow him to speak into our lives. And, uh, hey, I just want to give you a little bit of a uh, uh, take the guilt off of your heart and mind right now. I was talking with a buddy over lunch this week, and I just openly confessed with him. I said, hey, with three small kids, we try to watch the online, even though I hate watching myself on camera, we try to set the good example for the kiddos, and Sunday morning, let's get up and watch church, and with an eight, four, and two-year-old, that last... 30 seconds, and then it's off and running, and so there, I just want to take away any guilt. If you're watching this like on a Wednesday morning or something else, I'm just glad that you're making time for God's Word and to allow Him to speak into your life, uh, no matter if this is Saturday, Sunday, during the week. All of us are on this journey together, and this is what God is doing. This is why we're calling this series An Unstoppable Force, the DNA of a dangerous church, because a lot of things in our life feel very stoppable right now. I mean, we can't even watch service all the time with our kiddos, and we're at home, and we're we're. We're trying to figure out e-learning and all these things that are going on. And this is why it's so important beyond just our kind of disorientation in life. The reason why we put the tagline of the DNA of a dangerous church is because if we're not careful as the church, we won't be dangerous. We will become a danger to people. You even see this in the history books when the church tried to grab for power, to take control instead of walking in the ways of Jesus, being his body and his presence here on earth and connecting unconnected people to him, the church became obsessed with control and power. Matter of fact, that's what we're going to talk about today because if we're going to be an unstoppable force, we're going to have to learn how to live in the power of God and actually power dynamics is something that every single person is dealing with today. Who's in power? How did they get power? How do we get power? Do we need to take power from them? And here's the thing about power. Power by itself cannot tell you what is right or wrong. Power by itself can't tell you the truth. And if we're not careful, we'll only let the majority of whoever is in power determine what is true. See, this is why we've got to let God deal with what power is and begin to align our lives to it, because that's what makes the church an unstoppable force. So many people today, even Christians, get caught up in this idea that i got to get power, and once I get power, i got to do whatever to keep power, because if I lose power, I'll lose my way of life. Matter of fact, my favorite story of someone who could have been one of the most powerful men in the history of not just kind of a, a time period, but in the history of the world. His name is Ronald Wayne. And I don't know if you've heard of Ronald before. Once I kind of unpack his story a little bit with you, you'll kind of shed a tear for me you'll be like, oh, poor Ronald. But Ronald Wayne was one of the three co-founders of the company Apple. A lot of them was Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. Now, here's the reason why you've never heard of Ronald Wayne. Uh, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak came to him. They all three worked together. Ronald was 41 years old when Steve Jobs was 21 and Steve Wozniak was 25. They had this idea for Apple, what they wanted to do, but they needed a wisdom. And they needed somebody who could get them a loan from the bank and come in and all this other stuff. And so Ronald goes along with Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak and he founds Apple. Except after spending a little bit of time with Steve Jobs and Wozniak, he realized these dudes are on a whole nother planet, a whole nother level. And at 41, he re- even realizes, I can't keep up with these guys. And he ends up selling, this is, this is the way they got Ronald to be a founder. They said, each of them were going to own 45% of the company. Ronald, you own 10% of Apple. And then that way, you're the decision maker. You're the tiebreaker. After a period of time in 1976 when Ronald realized he didn't have what it took, he sold his 10% of Apple. 10% of Apple. You ready? $800. Apple's value right now is over $2 trillion. Ronald gave away that day what would become over $200 billion dollars for $800. Not the right move, Ronald. Matter of fact, a couple of years later in, night, in the early 1990s, Ronald was cleaning out his desk drawer. He had some of these files and he opened up and he found one file, which was the original contract that him and Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak signed together to start Apple. He had the original contract and he said, well, I don't need this anymore. I'm not a part of this. You know, I've sold my shares. I'm out of there. And he thought, I'll just sell it. And this is the early 90s when Apple really wasn't that big of a deal yet, sold the original contract that they all signed together for $500. Ronald, Ronald, Ronald. In 2011, the person who bought that sold that contract for $1.6 million. And all we can think about Ronald now is this. Ronald, you let so much power slip through your hands. So much so, we don't know his name. We don't know his story. He's just kind of a no man to us. All we know is Steve Jobs. All we know is this. All we know are these men of great power and money. And oftentimes, that's how we really feel in life. We don't feel like Steve Jobs. A lot of times, we feel like Ronald Wayne. Nobody knows us. Nobody knows what's going on. And a lot of times our life ends up being defined by what I have slipped through my hands. The regret, the decisions I've made, and so now those decisions own us and have power over us. But here's the beautiful thing that we're going to find out about Jesus today is this. In Acts chapter 1, this is the reason why we want to focus on this series is because Jesus reshapes the purpose of power. We hear that story of Ronald Wayne and we go, I guess that's what power looks like and power looks, acts like is you just have to have a bunch of money to have a bunch of power. And Jesus reshapes power and he redefines the purpose of power. And here's how he reshapes it. We looked at it last week when we said Jesus came and he became king and he started his kingdom and here's what his kingdom looks like. It's not you go get a bunch of power. He said the kingdom of God, here's how it comes in power, is that the kingdom comes to serve, not to be served. But here's the power dynamics. Jesus knows he has to clarify what power looks like for us. And I hope you hear how Jesus clarifies and puts power in its place today because it's accessible to you and I. We don't have to go out and try to get power. We don't have to worry about trying, we like, keep power. Listen to what Jesus says in Acts chapter 1.8. Matter of fact, I'm gonna encourage you over this series to memorize this verse. He got his disciples together and this is what he tells them in Acts chapter 1.8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He had just told them, hey guys, go pray and go wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit because here's what's going to happen. Did you catch those words? Jesus said, you're going to receive power. Matter of fact, I talked, had lunch with a buddy this week and this is what he told me. He said, Nate, how do I share Christ with people who think that if they begin to follow Jesus, their life is just going to be a total disaster. All of their fun is going to be taken away. And this is really the big idea that Jesus is trying to get across to the disciples and to us when it comes to power is this. We have to realize that Jesus is a king who didn't come to take power. Jesus is a king who comes to give power. You need to let that begin to unpack some of the ways you view Jesus. Because oftentimes that's what we think. We think Jesus is just a buzzkill, man. He's going to come. He's going to take away all my power. He's going to take away all my fun. He's going to come and take away all my toys. No, Jesus says when the Holy Spirit comes, all you've got to do is receive the power. You don't need to go get it. You don't need to worry about trying to keep it. You need to learn how to receive the power that I, I want to give you power. Can you be honest with yourself for a moment? And just assess, is that how you view power in Jesus? That when you think about Jesus, you think, oh no, he has come to give me power. Or do you really think Jesus has come to take your power? To lead you into a boring life? Or, as Jesus says in John chapter 10, 10, that he has come to give us life and life to the full. That Jesus has come to lead us in the way of life everlasting, even no matter what we find and go through. What I want to do real quick as we unpack Acts chapter 2, that's where we're going to be today. There's four. There's over 40 verses here. I'm just going to kind of do a 30,000 foot overview of verses 1 through 41. Next week we're going to look at verse 42 through 47 and we, as we begin to talk about what does it look like to be the community that is unstoppable as the church. But I wanna just begin to look at this passage. Hopefully you have your Bible, with you You can open up, you can follow along. Or this week, I'm gonna invite you to read chapter two and work your way through. But I wanna look at how the power of Jesus comes into the life of the disciples. Because his power is for us. He wants us to receive it. He didn't come to take it. He came to give you and I power. And for us to release the things that we're holding on to that we think give us power in life. Listen to what it says in Acts chapter two. Verse one, it says this, when the day of Pentecost came, and I'll explain that here in a second, they were all together in one place. Talking about the disciples. Jesus said, go and wait and pray for 10 days. And they were together praying for 10 days. And suddenly like the sound of a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them, other languages. Verse five, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? How how do you understand all these languages? They couldn't understand the power that they had. This is how, then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? There is this moment where the power came on the disciples. It wasn't a power that they created. It wasn't a power that they earned. It wasn't a power that they went and got or kept. It was a power that they did not have, that they received from the Holy Spirit, that they began to do an unbelievable work. It said it was like the blowing of a violent wind. We know we have tornadoes in our area. We've seen some violent winds come through here before. And it was this power that came into the room and it filled them. Matter of fact, it goes on after this and, and the, Luke, the author, begins to talk about all the different nations and I could read them all to you and you could go, okay, you know, I, don't know, I don't even know what that means. I wanna show you a picture real quick of all of the nations that heard the proclamation of Jesus in their own language by the power of Jesus. Look at this picture. I, I got this picture. This was phenomenal. These are all the languages in Acts chapter two that heard about who Jesus was through the power of the Holy Spirit through these ordinary disciples. You had people all the way from Rome and Jerusalem in this moment, from Crete, Arabia, Mesopotamia, all these different nations. And what you're beginning to see is this. This is God's heart and desire that I want the world to experience my power You don't have to live your life to go and get power and worry about trying to keep power. All you need to worry about is receiving the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. But can I be honest? It's tempting to go after the powers in this world than it is to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why it says it was. they were bewildered. They couldn't understand this power. What you and I have to realize is this. We do not understand the power of God because all we've experienced and grown up in is the power of the world. This is why we have to be careful to not look at what power looks like in the world and just assume that's the only power in the world. What happens is in this, verse 12, it says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? This is a power I've not seen. This is a power I don't know. This is a power my bank account doesn't have. Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Right? They just must be drunk. It's nine in the morning. And what's phenomenal is this. Peter stands up in the power of the Holy Spirit and begins to preach the first sermon in Acts chapter 2. And I'm not going to go through it all, but I want to encourage you to read all this. He begins to quote Joel chapter 2 and brings the Old Testament because he knows this is what God was pointing to, that he was going to pour his power out. He was going to pour his Holy Spirit out on them. This is what he begins to talk through. And then he even says this in verse 21. He says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You saw from that picture, God is wanting his power to go into the world. God is wanting his power to rest in your life and in my life and to go into the world. He then goes on to say this. He tells him, listen, in verse 24, he begins to preach more and more. He said, but God raised Jesus from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. He's going, this power, death doesn't have control over this power. Death can't stop the power of the resurrection. Death can't stop the Holy Spirit. There might be areas in your life today that you feel like are dead. Your relationships are dead. Everything, all the decisions, man, it's led to dead ends. And God is saying this because of Jesus, you are not left alone. My power, my power cannot be held back. The Jews begin to hear this. And he begins, Peter just tells him straight up in verse 36. He says, therefore, let all the Israelites be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, both King and Savior. God has given him all power, all authority. I don't care what you're going through. He has all power and authority. In verse 37, it said, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do then? I understand I've been trusting in these other powers and now this new power is here. What do I do about that? What do I do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive power. You don't have to go earn power. You just turn your life over to Christ and the power comes in at a level you've never experienced. The guilt has lifted off in a way that you could never get rid of. Because the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. See, we just kind of gloss through that. We go, "Uh uh uh-huh, uh-huh, okay, I got to go. We have to sit here and go, these just a small group of people were praying in a room. And in an instant, in a day, in an hour, it goes from a few people in a room to now a mega church explodes. That is power that you and I do not have and this world does not have. To turn lives around, to call people who are lost, to speak to all nations, to bring the world together. See, what God is doing in this passage is he is waking you and I up to the power that we do not have and that the world does not have in this place Matter of fact, I want to unpack this whole Pentecost thing. I said, we're going to come back and unpack that. You know, when we hear the word Pentecost, you know, we don't know what that means. But in that time for the Jewish people, they knew exactly what that meant. That represented the Pentateuch. When Moses went up Mount Sinai and he got the Ten Commandments and he came back down and he had the word of God. And what's happening in this passage is this, Jesus is now the greater Moses who didn't go up Mount Sinai. Jesus is the greater Moses who goes up into heaven, who has become king of the entire world. And now he sends his Holy Spirit down as the king to rest on us, to change our life. Not that we need to walk around with 10 commandments, but now we walk around with the actual power and presence of God in our hearts and our lives. See, this isn't about something external. This is something about God doing internal. See, Jesus didn't come just to take our power. He came to give give us his power. And not only that, here's what we got to understand about all of this. Here's how I can summarize it in the best way possible. That God's power comes in his presence, not our performance. God's power is received through his presence, not through your performance. You go, well, Nate, how's that true? Because Peter preached the first sermon. (laughs) And if you know anything about Peter's track record, let's remember Peter was the one who walked on the water and then became afraid and sunk in the water. Peter was the one who said, you know, tried to tell Jesus what to do with his life. And Jesus had to say, get behind me, Satan. Satan. Peter was the one, if you remember this, after three and a half years walking with Jesus, hearing Jesus say, he's gonna go die on the cross. And he's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. He cuts the man's ear off in the garden who's come to arrest Jesus. Jesus is like, come on, Peter, man, has to pick up the ear. Not now. And you know, I just invested three and a half years. And then it was Peter who was embarrassed when asked by a teenage girl if he was a follower of Jesus. And it was Peter Who denied Jesus three times, and yet it was Peter who preached the first sermon, and 3,000 people were baptized. Whose power was that in? Not Peter's. Not Peter's. It was in the presence of Jesus. Hey, I want to encourage you. I don't want you today to listen to this sermon. You're like, good, I'm not anyway, Nate. I'm just, you know, kind of staring at a TV right now. I don't want you to listen to a sermon. I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit. Just because you listen to a sermon doesn't mean you're listening to the Holy Spirit. It could be a reason why you don't feel the power of God in your life because you're living life by your performance, not by the presence of God. See, it's the presence of God that overwhelms us, that came into the room, didn't knock, kick the door down. Changed the lives of these disciples raised Peter up to preach a broken man, an imperfect man, to preach the word of God. It convicted, this is what Jesus says in John chapter 14. It begins to describe who the Holy Spirit is. He says this, he goes, it's better for me to go away so then the Holy Spirit will come and the Holy Spirit won't just be around you. The Holy Spirit's gonna be in your life. The Holy Spirit's gonna convict you of sin. The Holy Spirit's gonna teach you. It's gonna remind you. It's gonna guide you. It's gonna counsel you. We need counseling more than ever right now, which means we need the Holy Spirit more than ever right now. Matter of fact, the word for the Holy Spirit is the word pneuma, which means breath. It is literally the breath of God breathing into us, guiding us, holding us together. This is why we say stuff like this. You know, we go through life or maybe we just have a moment on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon and we just kind of are sipping some sweet tea out on the porch and we just take a deep breath. And we go, man, I just needed to catch my breath for a little bit. Man, I needed to get my second wind. Here's what I love about the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God has always, the Holy Spirit has always been with God from the very beginning. Genesis chapter one, listen to what it says about the Holy Spirit, verses one through two. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. See, the Spirit of God has always been there from the beginning with God. The Spirit of God, God would place on different people in the Old Testament and the Spirit would help guide them. And then it's in this moment, the Holy Spirit is the literal power of God to follow him. See, it's his presence, not our performance, that helps us to experience the power of God. And some of you going, Nate. That sounds great, but I mean, how do I get this power? How do I begin to step in that? How do I start living not from my performance but by His presence? Here is the first thing we got to do. You and I, we experience the power of Jesus. The power of Jesus calls for our surrender then it calls for our surrender. Some of you are like, I knew it, there it was, there's the hook. You say he just wants to give you power, but you have to surrender to it. Hey, can I just give you this idea? It's not just that you have to surrender in order for something good. Let me open your eyes to this. You are already surrendered to something today. You're already surrendered to a way of life, a way of thinking today. You're already surrendered to a political idea today. So this idea that surrender is going to be something new, you are already surrendering to something today. The question is, what are you surrendering to? See, for us to experience the power of God, it starts by us surrendering our lives. That's what the disciples were doing. All right, Jesus, you said to go pray for 10 days and just to meet, and then the power of God comes on. They were surrendered people. See, this is what the exodus is. This is what this new exodus is with the Holy Spirit. See, it's not just this weird story of the power of God coming down and lives being changed. This is the new book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, Moses and the Israelites were trapped in Egypt. They had no way out. They were slaves to Pharaoh. And then yet God delivered him, not by their might, not by their thinking, not by their earning. It was only by the presence and the power of God. And then they crossed through the Red Sea that God split for them. And today, We experience the same thing by the Holy Spirit, except God's not leading us out of Egypt. God is leading us out of our slavery to sin. And when we get baptized, when we repent and we begin to follow him, that's why Peter says, repent and be baptized. What happens is this. When we begin to repent, what we begin to do is you're going to go, I'm leaving this way of slavery to sin. And I'm beginning to walk this new life. And just like the Israelites walked through the parted open sea, when we step into the baptistry, we are going, no, God, you are parting the seas for me. You are rescuing me because I'm surrendering my life to you. This is a new exodus except you got to understand this the power of the holy spirit when we surrender see a lot of times we think power is for extraordinary people but it's extraordinary power for ordinary people that's a beautiful gift of the holy spirit the holy spirit's not for those in power the holy spirit is to empower it's not for extraordinary people it's an extraordinary power for ordinary people. This is the beautiful work of God that God is saying every man, woman, child, everybody, I want to rescue you. I want to lead you into a life that you cannot create for your own. I want to give you my power. And here's the deal. I began to think about this and we talked about this as a staff this week. And it was Michael Chanley, our kidside side pastor, who brought this up. And he said this, I thought this was brilliant. He said, we have to remember this, that sacrifice is not the same as surrender. Sacrifice is not the same as surrender. You can serve, but that doesn't mean you're surrendered to Jesus. You can give money, but not be surrendered. You can be watching this and not be surrendered. Don't confuse sacrifice. For surrender. Matter of fact, King Saul in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel, got this backwards. He began to live a life of sacrifice, not surrender, and he lost the power of God in his life. Matter of fact, one time he presented offerings that God didn't ask him to do. He asked him to surrender and obey first. He didn't ask him to sacrifice, and the prophet Samuel had to come and confront him. And listen what he says to him this is what it says in verse 22. Samuel comes up to King Saul and he replied to him and he says this, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as and we got to check this out, in obeying the voice of the Lord. Don't listen to a sermon. Listen to the Holy Spirit. To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. I, this is Saul, after he's confronted with this, he recognizes his sin. He goes, I have sinned and I have violated the Lord's command in your instructions. And then listen to his answer. I was afraid of the people and so I gave in to them. You know what Saul's saying right there? I was surrendered to what the people thought of me, so I gave in to them. Surrender is not a new idea. You and I are already surrendered to something. Jesus is saying, whatever you're surrendered to, surrender to me. You want to experience the power that changes your life? Don't surrender to what people think of you. Surrender to Jesus. Jesus. Well, that's his life that comes in. This is the life that changes us because here's what happens. We see this in the book of Acts right now. A surrendered life sets sail. See the word for the Holy Spirit Jesus uses in John chapter three is the wind of God. This wind comes in and it begins to change the lives. And when you and I are surrendered to the Holy Spirit, we set sail with God. I don't know if you've ever kayaked or rowed or maybe seen somebody rowing out in the Ohio and they're trying to go against the current. And you go, I don't care how hard you're rowing, man. When you're going against the current, you're like losing 10 yards every minute. You can row as hard as you want. You can go out and try to cut your own path. But when you don't have the headwind, when everything is going against you, it makes you tired and lose power. And in this moment, what happens is this, when they surrender themselves to the Lord, they set sail on a whole new adventure. See, that's what God has for us. He's going, I want you to surrender, not so I can take your fun away. I want to introduce you into this new life. I want you to set sail. So the question for you and I today is this, are you just going to keep rowing your life along or are you and I going to set sail and raise our sail and say, God, would you do an unbelievable work in our life? Matter of fact, I found out in 1300 BC, the Mesopotamians are the ones who invented sailing. They said, enough rowing, we're not getting anywhere. And can you imagine what was it like that first day when the first sail went up? Ah, They're just flying out in the ocean, man. This whole new power came from behind them and took them. And they went, I'm living in a power that I do not have. There's something about the wind that makes everybody smile. Matter of fact, this week, I love it. My 71-year-old father-in-law showed up with a brand new toy that he bought. And uh, here's a picture of him. I love my father-in-law, Tony. And uh, he showed up this week. I love it, man. 71 years old, still buying a scooter. And our four-year-old Carter went out for a ride. And it doesn't matter if you're 71 or if you're four years old. Man, when you take off on one of those scooters, there's something about the wind that just makes you laugh. And you go, ah! You just kind of rev the engine a little bit, man, and you just go. And there's something about the wind. See, what happens is when you and I surrender our life to Jesus, Jesus says there's a wind that comes in. There's a fresh wind that begins to move your life along in a way that you and I can't move our life along. See, it's this fresh wind that breaks the power of addiction in our life it's this fresh wind that gives us the power to forgive people who have hurt us it's not by our power so i love Zechariah 4 6 not by might not by power but by my spirit says the lord See, a lot of times we're working, even as Christians, we're trying to do the things God's called us to do, but we're doing them in our own power. And what God says and what happens in this moment in the life of Peter is this. Instead of him rowing the boat, he just puts up his sail and he goes, All right, Holy Spirit, take me on. Give me the words. For some of us, it's time to set sail. God is saying, I'm inviting you into this. I know you've surrendered, but man, you gotta, you gotta raise the sail. You gotta allow him to lead you into what he has for you in this season. See, that's actually what that word repent, when Peter says was this, when they said, what must we do? He says, repent and be baptized. And actually that word repent is a military word. It was a very Roman word because Rome would come into cities and they say, repent or we will burn your city down. Jesus says, repent. Turn from your way, be baptized, and begin to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, a couple of my buddies and I, we read this book. Some of you are going, man, Nate, this Holy Spirit, I've never even heard this before. Or maybe you have and you don't know what it is. I just want to recommend this book to you. Just as a further deep dive, it's called Spirit Walk. It's just a great book, a simple book about what the Holy Spirit does in your life, how you begin to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it really focuses on this passage from Galatians chapter 5 where Paul calls you and I to live in the spirit, not in our power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what it says in Galatians chapter five, verse 16. Paul just says, so I say, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Y'all got some habits you wanna kick? How long have those habits been kicking you? Nate, I've tried everything. Yeah, me too. You know, I really, I, uh, uh-huh, me too. That's why Paul says, don't live by your power. Live by the Spirit. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If God is moving in this, and some of you are going, well, Nate, what will happen if I follow the Spirit? How can I guarantee what God's going to do? You know what, I'll just give you the answer. Here's what's going to happen. when you begin to set sail, when you begin to raise those hurts to God, when you begin to raise those regrets, when you begin to go, "No, Jesus, will you save me instead of me save myself?" Listen what's going to happen in verse 22, it says, "But the fruit of the spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience. It's kindness. It's goodness. It's faithfulness, it's gentleness, and self-control. Now, I know as soon as we turn on the news, that's all we see is love and joy and peace and patience. I know we really don't need the Spirit. Okay, I'm I'm not serious, right? We're going, yeah, 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 that is absolutely opposite of everything in the world. That's right, the Spirit is absolutely opposite of everything in the world. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, since we've set sail with the Spirit, the wind of God, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Man, the spirit has this work for you and I to do. The spirit has this way for you and I to grow. The spirit has more for us to step into. But do you remember how it happened? It wasn't by their trying. They were just simply filled with the Holy Spirit. Today, one of the easiest prayers for you to surrender could be just simply this. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit into my life. Matter of fact, pray that all the time. There might be many breath prayers that you pray throughout the day before you start your day. When you wake up, hey, God, would you? Hey, I know you're here. I just want to let you know I'm in today. By the power of your Holy Spirit, would I live my day? You got a tough conversation coming up before, before you enter the meeting? Come, Holy Spirit. Be my power today. I, w- I want to live in you. I want to I walk. I want your wind to be my guiding wind. I don't want to live by my power. I want to live by your power. Your power is what sustains me. Your power is what will help me to give love that I don't have, to have joy that I don't have. Because here's what begins to happen. The surrendered life, here's what we find in the passage. The surrendered life, it begins to speak. So many of us want to share Christ, but we go, man, I just don't know how to share Christ. I don't know what to say. Nate, I don't know how to get up there. Here's what happens. A lot of times we debate, uh, you know, theological people have debate that uh, unless you speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. And and there's all these different things. I have friends who speak in tongues. I love them. They love Jesus. You know, we're going, hey, if somebody speaks in tongues, I'm not going to shut them down. Here's what's going to happen, though. We have to look at the text. And what we find in the book of Acts is this. The mark of the Holy Spirit. We see people speaking in languages, but you know what the mark of the Holy Spirit is all throughout the book of Acts? You'll see this phrase over and over again. That they boldly spoke about Jesus. That they boldly spoke about Jesus. When the Spirit came, Peter stood up and he boldly spoke about Jesus. Jesus. And speaking about Jesus isn't just always in a sermon form. Matter of fact, I remember the most meaningful time somebody spoke, one of the most meaningful times, I'll say there have been several, but one of the most meaningful times someone spoke boldly in the power of the Holy Spirit. I remember it was around a dinner table and it was uh, the time that I went uh, to visit my first girlfriend. I only had one girlfriend before I met Ruthie, got married to her, and I remember going to her parents' house that was several hours away, and we drove down there. And I remember getting to have uh, dinner with her extended family and her grandma. We were sitting at the table, and she began to ask me the questions. So what's your degree in? Youth ministry? Or are you a youth minister? No, I work at the college as an admissions counselor. Well, is that what you went to school for? Uh, no. Well, why aren't you doing that? I'm trying to figure that out. Well, when is that going to happen? I mean, she was just getting like just burning me down with questions. Wasn't speaking from the Holy Spirit, speaking from the Holy Self, I think, on that. Anyway, she I just felt like an absolute fool. I'm like, yeah, I have this degree and I'm not using it and I'm trying to figure out life and this and that. And she had just gotten this new boyfriend, older gentleman, about probably 75 years old. And here we are, I'm sitting next to him at the dinner table and he begins just to weep at the table. And I'm like, man, he's like weeping over me. He's like, what a loser, you know, this guy. And I'm like, my gosh, she's you know, drilling me over here on all this other stuff. This guy's just weeping at me. And he just stops. Everybody kind of looks at him like, why is he weeping? And he just turned and he looked at me. And he said, I feel like the Lord is telling me to tell you, wait on the Lord. Okay. Dinner got real quiet after that. We finished the meal. He comes up to me later on in the other room. He said, uh, he goes, do you have the Holy Spirit? I said, yeah. He said, I haven't heard the Holy Spirit talk to me like that in years. I think too many times we thought speaking about the Holy Spirit meant you had to get up and give a sermon. Speaking from the power of the Holy Spirit actually just means you and I listening to the Holy Spirit. That's what makes the church an unstoppable force. You'll find two chapters over Peter speaks up again and he gets put in jail for speaking up. You'll see Paul begin to speak up and he gets put in jail for speaking up. Just because you speak up doesn't mean you'll get applause. But the church is called to speak. The church is called to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. No other power. No other power, but the Holy Spirit. Gotta ask you today, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? What's the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now? What's he saying? See, it may be, some of you are going, man, I don't know. Maybe that today, He's just simply calling you to surrender to him. To not go get power, but to receive power. Say, God, all right, I'm in. I'm scared to death. I don't know what that means, but I'm going to surrender all my ideas. I'm going to surrender all my decisions to you. I'm going to allow you to lead Matter of fact, that's why we even do this texting in. And man, if you're right now, if you're going, yeah, Nate, I need to surrender to that. I need to repent and be baptized. I need to give over power because I need to receive that power. Today, we just want you to text in the word accept. Now i want say, I'm going to accept this power. I'm going to turn my life over to Jesus. Just text in the word accept to 41411. We're going to do another night of worship, September 13th, Sunday night. We already got people signed up. That's gonna be another night of baptisms where we're going, no, God is part of the waters. He has rescued us. He is setting us on a new course. I am following him. You can go to mynorthside.com slash baptism. You can sign up for that. You can find more information. You can begin a conversation. But today, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Is he calling you to surrender? Maybe it's not surrender. Maybe today he's calling you to set sail quit rowing, and to raise the sail, and say, God, I need a power in my life that I do not have. And Here's what will happen when you raise that sail. The wind will overwhelm you. The wind won't hurt you. The wind is what's going to hold you together. That's what we read in the Rest of the book of Acts, it's faithful followers who continue to raise the sail. And even though it might cost them their life, even though it might bring hardship, even though it might bring suffering, they're going, I'm raising the sail. There is no power in this world. Where do you need to raise the sail today? Or maybe God is calling you to begin to speak the words that He's given you. Maybe there's some words. He's put on your heart to share with your friends and your family that you know he's called you to share might be as simple as wait on the lord what it looks like to live in the power is to speak in the power of god let me remind you what peter said because this promise of jesus this power of jesus it's not just for extraordinary people it's for ordinary people This is why he says in Acts chapter two, verse 39, this promise is for you, it's for your children, and it's for all of those who are far off. It's for everybody. And this power, this power is what makes us unstoppable as a church. Heavenly Father, I pray right now, Father, I just pray as a broken man, a man, Father, who tries too many times to do things in his own power. But time and time again, when I'm tired and I've tried it on my own and I finally stop trying to do it in my way, your power and your wind is always there. So today, Lord, I I just ask and pray for us as your church. As broken Peter, broken people just like Peter, Father, I just pray, God, would you move in unbelievable ways? Father, as there's people who need to surrender to you right now, Lord, I know it is terrifying. But Lord, would they surrender? God for decisions that we need to make. Would we trust you with them? Father, would we allow you to lead? And God would you help us as we walk in the power of your spirit day in and day out. And Father, thank you for making your church one. God that gets to live life with you, that is fueled by you, and that we simply get to walk with you. Father, we pray all of this by your power and in your name and your grace. And we all say together, amen.